Welcome to the Aid to Assets podcast, the ultimate podcast for aspiring real estate investors. I'm your host, Tiffany Watson. Join me as we discuss real estate investing for nine to fivers. We'll talk about everything from money mindsets and property ownership and different strategies you can use to invest in real estate. I want to empower investors, especially those of us who are working full time, who want to navigate the world of real estate, uncover the secrets to building wealth, generate passive income to achieve financial freedom. Equip yourself with resources from experts, practical tips, and step-by-step guides on how to kickstart your real estate journey. We'll also hear from nine to fivers who started to build their own portfolios, what they did and how they did it, so you can do it too. Tune in and transform your main job into your biggest silent investor in your real estate investment business. This is your Aid to Assets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Aid to Assets podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Watson, and I get to help you get started with your real estate investment portfolio. Y'all know this show is here for the nine to fiver that wants to add an additional stream of income through real estate. And so I interview investors that have already gotten started and the professionals that help them do it. And today I got a double threat because not only does my guy help people get their own portfolios up together, but he also got a real impressive portfolio himself. So y'all know how we do it right here. Go ahead and get those notebooks. Y'all get ready to take notes. Antonio's going to drop all kinds of jewels that you are not going to want to miss. So before we get started, Antonio, hey, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. How about yourself? I am wonderful. I can't complain. So excited to have you on the Aid to Assets show. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully I can add some value to your listeners. Oh, without a doubt. I don't even question that at all. So before we even jump into the good stuff, one of the things that we like to do here is start out with receipts, let people know why they need to go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. Tell us about that portfolio. What you got going on over there? All right. So as far as the rental portfolio, I have uh, 13 units here in Louisiana, and I'm also an investor on an apartment complex in Georgia. It's a 240 unit. But um, in addition to that, I'm a realtor. I'm a broker owner of Service First Real Estate. Um, I have escaped the rat race. I used to work in corporate America. I got out of there and now I'm full time real estate. So I have a lot of uh, things we can. I don't know where you want to go with it, but I have a lot of you know things we could talk about because I've been listening to your podcast episodes and I feel like I can hit both sides of it from the realtor side, but also from the investor side as well. Absolutely. That's why we wanted you here. And it's so good because you already know that's the first thing is for many of our listeners, we're still working myself. I'm still in corporate um, and starting to do this real estate on the side. And so I want to start from the very beginning. How did you first get started in the real estate? Okay. So I graduated from uh, LSU in 2007 and I took a job as a bank examiner with the federal government. So I moved to Dallas for this job. Somewhere at the beginning of the job, maybe the first three four, three or four months, I wasn't feeling it, first of all. But one of my friends put me on Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I wasn't a big reader at all up until this point. So I read the book. It opened my eyes to real estate. But I didn't have that, um, I guess, it, it, it gave me the, the background, but it didn't give you any actionable steps. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't buy my first piece of real estate until 2018, by the way. <laughs> so I read the book in 2007. I wanted to buy real estate, but I was scared. I let fear prevent me from buying for 11 years. I went to every single conference you can think of. I went to all the meetups. I, I bought all the books. 
I used to invest heavily in my education, but I was always scared to take action. So my very first property that I purchased was actually a, a commercial office building that I still own today. That's what a brokerage is out of. Yeah. First purchase. I know it's not traditional because usually you think you buy a single family house, but now I bought an office building. Wow. Yeah. And then it was rent, start, rent started to come in and I was like, damn, this is easy. And that's what I became addicted after that. Wow. So yeah, that's definitely not normal. You definitely do not typically hear people go on the commercial side first. But let's unpack a little bit because we, especially being in this space now, we know a lot of people who love the masterminds. Um, during the pandemic, that has grown even more prevalent. And so there's a lot of groups, there's a lot of meetups, there's a lot of information at our disposal. Talk to us a little bit about you were spending all this money, but just couldn't pull the trigger. What was going on there? I was just scared. I don't have any, like I was the first person to go to college in my family. I didn't have any resources, anybody I can question. You know, like nobody's ever done this before that's around me. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I would talk to people, but then at the same time, I didn't really trust people that I didn't really know. So I was just scared to pull a trigger and didn't think about it. Like 2007 to 2018, just imagine, you, you know what happened during that time frame. Had I bought, started buying properties in 2010 and on, you know, I'd be multi, multi-millionaire by now, but I was scared. Yeah, 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 okay. So then what was it that was like, okay, 11 years I have been listening, reading, talking to people. What was the push that got you to get your first property? I was just like, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. I'm wasting all this time. I just need to take action, take the first step. I'll figure it out, you know, later. I'll course correct as we go. So I just did it. And I, I was like, damn, this is really easy. Like I didn't realize how easy it was. And I was so mad at myself. That's one thing I will always regret not buying property back then. And I forgot to mention 2010 is when I purchased my first property. So my first house to live in. I lived in a house about maybe two years after I purchased it. Uh, Warren Buffett bought 420 acres right by my house. So this is in a suburb of Dallas called The Colony. Okay. Mm -hmm. And as a result, property value started to skyrocket. Mm -hmm. I lived in a house for six years total. I sold it and moved back to Louisiana. I ended up pocketing six figures you know, off that investment. So wow. that got me started. Yeah, that was my, my seed capital to getting started with the real estate investing. Six years and pocketed six figures off of something that you was going to have to do anyway because you had to get yourself somewhere to live. Yep. And don't forget about that tax exclusion. So, you know, I was able to not pay taxes on it, too, because the IRS allows you mm -hmm. if you live in there two out of the five years as your primary residence, not to pay taxes on 250000 if you're single and 500000 if you're married. Mm -hmm. Capital gains. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So y'all, first of all, I want y'all to hear that Antonio, he was still afraid and he was like, I'm gonna do it anyway. So in the comments, go ahead and drop, do it anyway. There is nothing saying that you are just going to be fearless and ready to go, but you figure it out along the way. So you bought the commercial property. Tell us about that. What did you use the property for? How did that, how did that work? So actually, you know, you're familiar with house hacking where you buy a multi-unit, rent out one side or rent out one unit or other units, you know. Well, this one is an office building. It's, it's really one office building with four individual offices. But what I do is I rent the individual offices out. So I'm house hacking the office building, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. So basically kind of like a tradition, a non-traditional event space where people can come in and use the office space if they want to, if they want to have, you know, I'm sure. What are your tenants? Let's talk about that. So I have a janitorial company that only uses it to store their items and to interview people twice a month. I have a doctor who never comes there. He just uses it for the address. And then I have a nurse with some kind of home health care business where he doesn't use it either. He just uses it for the address. So nobody's ever there. And then one wow. baking unit is for 
our uh, like the brokerage. If anybody needs to go to the office, then they have that available to them. Did y'all hear the less a headache that he does not have? Because he has professionals that is renting his building out. And half the time they're not there because they're actually out doing the business. I love that. I love that. Okay. So you moved back to Louisiana. You back home now. What Talk to us about where you went from there. So I was still working for the Dallas job, you know, as a bank examiner. They just allowed me to work from home because my wife and I, we wanted to get closer to the family. We wanted to start a family and we didn't want to do it by ourselves. So we moved back home mm-hmm. in a suburb. We're both from New Orleans, but we live in a suburb of Baton Rouge right now, you know, just to be closer. It's better than being in Dallas. So, um, you know, I work from home while also I forgot to mention, but I got my real estate license in 2010. Okay. I got it in Dallas and I got it because we, we had gotten engaged and we, I didn't want to go into debt paying for a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people spend a lot of money on weddings and go into debt. And I, that wasn't me. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So got my license. So I was doing real estate and working as a bank examiner at the same time since 2010. All right. So moved back home in 2016 uh, while working from home, also selling real estate because I got my license in Louisiana as well. Uh, during this time period, I was able to, you know, go to closings, taking my work computer to closings with me because I got to keep the mouse active, you know, otherwise they know you're on the way status. Yep. I can't let that happen. <laughs> I used to, you know, do what you got to do, you know what I'm saying, to make it work. Um, I try to buy one property a year at least. But in 2023, I didn't buy anything. Just I couldn't find a good deal that would pencil out, you know, with the interest rates, even though interest rates doesn't scare me. But at the same time, it has to make sense financially. I just didn't buy anything last year, unfortunately. What, what was I going with the story? I forgot where I was going with it. Um, oh, I, I know. Well, you, well, hold on. OK, OK. I was just going to say, so the whole time I'm working for home um, and selling real estate at the same time. And then in 2020, I decided to open up my own brokerage. So I opened up the brokerage. I'm running my own realtor business. And I'm working a full-time job as a bank examiner. So it was tough. That's why I have a lot of gray hairs. I was stressed <laughs> out. <laughs> and then in uh, sometime, I, I believe it was like January 9th of 2021, something happened at work where I was like, I can't do this no more. Like, I, I refuse. Like, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I have to ask for permission to take vacation. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I made a promise to myself and said, by the end of this year, I'm quitting this job. And granted, I was making $120,000 working from home with government benefits. So that's mm. a lot to walk away from. However, mm. I knew it was something greater. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to quit my job December 17th. So two weeks before I wanted to, December 17th of 2021, I went all on, all in on real estate and it's been the best thing ever. Wow, that's amazing. First of all, congratulations because just in general, taking the, the step of faith on yourself, it sounds easy. Like I should be able to bet on myself, but that is no easy task. And so congratulations on just having the courage, despite I'm sure there had to be some underlying fear to be willing to take that step of faith, but also walking away from a government job, a government six figure job. Like what? That's what people tell you. Like you got to make six figures and you walking away from six figures. So shout out to you for that faith step. But there's so much that I want to unpack because, okay, I want to get make sure I get this timeline right. So you got your license in 2010 in Texas. And then in 2020 is when you open your brokerage? Oh, yeah, yeah. 16, we moved back. 20, I opened the brokerage. Okay. So in 2010, when you got your license, you were getting engaged. So you were planning a wedding. You moved back to Louisiana. And you were still working a full-time job. I just want everyone to hear everything that was going on in his 24 hours. 
<laughs> so talk to us about that. How are we managing the time? Because that's the first thing that a lot of people tell me when it's talking about being an investor. I don't have time to do all of that. It's a lot of work. Tell us about that. I'm glad you asked. So there's, okay, I heard this acronym at a uh, conference recently. Okay, time, T-I-M-E. It stands for, that is my excuse. That is my excuse. I hate excuses. Like, if you want it bad enough, you're going to figure it out, period. That's how I operate. That's my mentality. Like, whether that's waking up earlier, going to sleep later, whatever it is, you need to figure it out. If you want it bad enough, you're going to do that. So I wake up every single morning at 5 a.m., every single morning, even on the weekends. I can go out the night before. I'm still getting up at 5 a.m. because I'm disciplined. I, like, a long time ago, maybe that's 2017, 2018, I forgot what year. But I, I, when I first started waking up at 5, I had to trick my mind. Because it was hard at first, you know, like I would look and I know this may sound weird, but it works for me. Everybody's different. But I would trick myself into waking up because I struggled at the beginning. I used to say to myself, if I don't wake up at five o'clock today and do what I need to do, then my future kids are going to hurt because something I didn't do today. And that's how I used to trick my mind. And it worked. That's just it worked for me. It may not work for you, but it worked for me. So I'm saying all that to say you need to figure out a way that you're going to be consistent because consistency is everything like. As long as you you consistently knocking off, you know, doing something every single day at that task, you're going to get to it. So you just got to trick your mind. Like I, I play tricks on my mind all the time because your mind is everything. If, if you believe it, you can do it. Seriously. Wow. Time. That is my excuse. So what I tell myself is I have the same 24 hours as Beyonce. And so there's no reason why she can do all that she can do. And I can't do half of that. So I love, love that. So how are you... What were you doing with that time? You wake up at 5 a.m. What does your day look like back then? Let's start while you were still working a full-time job and you were a realtor. So back then, uh, I was working the full-time job. I would start at 6 a.m., uh, Monday through Thursday. So 6 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Uh, so 5 o'clock, I wake up and I, you know, obviously have my coffee set to go off at 5. But I wake up, I read. I, I'm a big reader. Like, I read a lot. Like, I'm always reading at least two books at a time. Um, currently like with the brokerage, we have a book club. So we get on a call Monday through Friday at 5 15 AM. So we don't have everybody. Like it's 23 of us in the brokerage, but only anywhere from three to seven people will show up every morning. And on that call, we talk about our goals for the day. So what's, what are you planning on getting accomplished for the day? It's sort of like an accountability group, but a few years ago we started implementing a book club. So we start reading books together and sharing our takeaways for the day. And that's what we do in the morning, 5.15 to about 5.30, maybe 5.35. And then immediately after that, I start reading. I read my book. Immediately after that, it's usually around 6, 6.05. I go to my gym and start working out. I transform my gym, half of my gym, I'm sorry, half of my garage into a gym during COVID because I, you know, like I say, I used to make excuses not to go to the gym. Well, now I don't have excuses anymore because it's right there. I walk there. You know what I'm saying? So I do that from about six to seven. Then I come in my office and I just map out my day. Like I look at my, my calendar and figure out what I need to get done today before moving on. Basically, that whole time I'm on do not disturb because I believe in being proactive instead of reactive. If you allow text messages, notifications, all that stuff to distract you from what you got to accomplish, then you're going to start operating on their schedule instead of yours. So I'm big on being proactive and doing what I need to do from five to eight in the morning before letting the world you know, come into play and to knock me off track. That, wow. And let me tell you, that time where before everyone else gets up, I get more done in the morning before noon than most people do in two days. Like, it's wild. I'm an early morning person too, and it, it definitely, it took some time. 
it is, it's a practice, that a discipline that you got to build. But the what you are able to accomplish when you don't have those distractions, it makes a huge, huge difference. Most definitely. Most definitely. I, I feel like I was probably in the military in my former life because I'm so structured. <laughs> like I'm so structured. <laughs> That's Seriously. crazy you say that because I believe I've come from a military family. Like that's everybody was in the military, so I'm used to it. My dad don't play. And so I know what that was like. And so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so you moved to Dallas. Now you're a husband, you have a business of your own, you're still working full time. And you mentioned that your goal was to purchase at least one property per year. Why was that the goal? I just, I mean, I read it in a book. I forgot what book, but uh, it was like one property a year make you wealthy, you know? So that was my goal. Fairly easy goal. One property a year, you got 12 months to figure it out. Yeah, that's not hard to do, right? So I started doing that. And um, I mean, obviously I've done more than one a year, but the goal is always at least one a year. Uh, one misconception people have with real estate, I, like I think long-term, right? I don't think short-term. When you're doing the buy and hold game, like you're not going to get rich making $300 a month. Like, like you got to, it's stacks, stacks on top of, you know, each other. So as you accumulate the portfolio, then that's how you get wealthy over time, especially when you start to borrow against the portfolio. That's what the wealthy do. They get these um, appreciating assets and then they borrow against it and they don't pay it off. And then they die and they let it transfer to the heirs via trust. And it, they call it the buy, borrow, die strategy. Essentially, They're, the heirs pick up the property or whatever asset at the fair market value instead of the, the cost basis back, you know, the, the original owner had. So I'm big on taxes. Like I believe in, you know, paying my fair, fair share, but I don't believe in leaving the tip. So I study that stuff to a T because I don't, I don't believe in giving away money to the government that that's only going to misuse the money anyway. So Listen. might as well, you know, figure out a way to maximize it. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you said like it was it was a nugget of picking up one property year that you got in a book. It wasn't some like life changing. It just made logical sense. And so for I think a lot of people sometimes think that they have to have like this golden nugget of, a, of, of an idea in order to make this work. And it's really a lot more practical than people imagine it to be. Now, I'm curious because you mentioned that when you sold the, your house that you were living in in Dallas and you moved back to L.A., that was kind of your seed capital. So for many people, they hear, you know, they made six figures off of that. There's so much that they can do with that money. What was it that made you say, I'm going to invest this instead of spending this on something else? Personal finance. I love personal finance. So that's that's when I say I read, that's the type of stuff I'm reading. I know this stuff. Like, I feel like I'm a borderline expert over here with the personal finance game for real. So I know um, you have to invest. If you want to outpace, outpace inflation, you have to invest it. You can't just spend it. I, I don't believe in buying materialistic stuff. That's just me personally. So I knew that if I wanted to get wealthy based on my readings and based on my job as a bank examiner, because we didn't talk about that, but what I used to do is review people's financials, like review loans and stuff. So I have the inside track on what it takes to get wealthy because I'm seeing all these people's financials. I know that they own real estate. I know that they have all these write-offs when it comes to taxes because of the real estate game. Mm -hmm. So I have this in my head. Like I want it, success leaves clues, as they say, right? So if I know this is there, why not? Why can't I play that game? You know? So yeah, I'm, a, I'm the first in my family for a lot of things. First millionaire in my family, first to go to college. Like I, I'm setting, I'm breaking generational curses in my family. Seriously. I love that. I love that. And that's one of the reasons why this platform was created, because our generation, especially, we are doing so many things different than our parents and our grandparents. And so that is the story for so many of us. I used to work in, look, I former life, I used to work in education. And so I told people, of course, 
people were coming familiar with being a first generation college student. But then there was for many of us, now I'm in recruiting. And so I talked to my colleagues for many people that we're first generation corporate. And so a large part of my recruitment career has been on university recruiting and helping students to get their first corporate job. They didn't have people to ask them what it was like to work in an office, to understand what the social norms are. And so then now in this part of my career, I'm dealing with first generation investors because for many of us to be able to say we bought a house, that was it. That was the goal. That was the ceiling and not the floor. And we're changing the game to be able to say, no, there's a lot more that we can do. Speaking of education, so the fact that I know the information that I do know, what I like to do is I like to teach, especially the youth. So like I'm a part of uh, the 100 Black Men of Baton Rouge. And what we do is we do this program called Dollars and Cents. It's actually about to start up next week. It's like an eight, it's an eight week program. Every January through February, March, we teach this program. So it's credit, real estate, taxes, insurance, uh, the wealth gap, budgeting. It's all this stuff that we teach them at a young age, just high school students, because I believe in giving back. And especially if you, if I had that this information at a young age, well, I'd be killing it right now. I'm 39. If I had this information back then, I'd be so wealthy right now. But that's one thing I do. In addition, um, on Tuesday nights, when we've been doing, it's me and about five others all around the U.S. We've been teaching uh, real estate investing every single Tuesday night for free since August of 2020. Every single Tuesday night. I can count on hand how many times we missed. Every single Tuesday night, free information. And so that's our, it's like our community. So it's like giving back. We have about 720 people in the group, but only about 30 to 50 show up on Zoom every Tuesday night, which is still cool. Mm -hmm. We have, we built a nice little community, a free community of just giving game, just giving the information back. And I, I love doing that kind of stuff. Have knowledge and you're not giving it back. You're being selfish. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And y'all will have information about the call if y'all want to jump on on Tuesdays with Antonio. I have seen some of the sessions and they always have really, really good responses. And so that's definitely a great opportunity to tap in. We talk a lot about having community because one thing I would love for you to speak on that you mentioned. So when we talk about community, a lot of times I hear people who mention that there isn't anyone around them that is doing the things that they want to do. And so you referenced that earlier, that because you were the first college student, you were the first college graduate, you were the first millionaire, you didn't, didn't have people that you could go to in your immediate circle. What did you do in order to bridge that gap? I mean, uh, I used to just search, search for things, YouTube, you, everything is on YouTube University these days, but like bigger pockets, forums, uh, meetup.com. I used to just Facebook groups, like whatever you're interested in, you can find a support group for it. And that's, that's, I truly feel that. So you, you know, if you're interested in real estate investing, get online, type in real estate investing your city and see what comes up. Go to those meetings, network with those people, let them know your narrative, let them know what you're trying to accomplish. I feel like the more you tell people what you want to do, the more they're going to be willing to help you. If you don't speak up, they won't know what to do to help you. So you have to speak up and say what you're trying to do. Like, I'll tell you this, and I'm putting it on your podcast right now. By the end of 2024, I will be have been a GP on a syndication for an apartment complex. I'm telling you that right now. That's yes, that's happening. I've been putting in all the groundwork all last year, going to the different meetups, going to the different uh, conferences, networking with the correct people and analyzing big um, apartment deals, underwriting them. And now I just I got to find a deal. I have the, the money lined up, you know, people ready for me to find a property so they can invest. I'm doing it this year. I'm excited about it, too. 
That's lit. I love that. And it's the big audacious goals, the way that you're able to stretch yourself and challenge yourself to do things that you never even thought that was going to be possible for you to do. So that I can't wait to hear it. I love it. We put it on record. 2024, we definitely going to have to hear how that went. So talk to us now a little bit about that because you have dabbled in commercial as well as residential. What do you feel are the biggest differences in deciding which type of property you want to invest in? Well, with commercial, it's typically bigger deals. Um, so they're larger, more scarier because they're more expensive. But at the end of the day, numbers is numbers. So if you can un understand how to analyze a deal, don't be scared to do a commercial deal. I would just say, look at the numbers, right? Uh, residential is easier for sure. It's, it's, it's way less complex than a commercial deal. Uh, so if you're starting out, you're a very brand new investor, I wouldn't recommend you go out there and buy an office building like I did. To be honest, I don't even know how, how I stumbled upon it. I think I was just for like casting, you know, I wanted to own a brokerage one day, it would be cool if I had my own office and the fact that this one had tenants already in there. So I think that's what it was. I'm not hundred percent sure. I can't go back to 2018 when that happened, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, the difference is the complex, the commercials are more complex, but it shouldn't be something. It's not impossible. I did it. It's not impossible. So just get the knowledge. Um, one thing I'm working on this year is actually, you know, we're both realtors, but I'm working on my CCIM designation. That's, like the PhD when it comes to real estate, CCIM stands for um, uh, Certified Commercial Investment Management, a member, investment member. So that's one thing I'm working on. I just want to get the knowledge. Like I tell my agents, I, I hate to say my agents, but I tell the agents that I partner with at the brokerage, I tell them all the time, like the more knowledge you have, the more valuable you become. So like the more information you have, the more valuable you are to another person. So why not try to grasp all the knowledge? knowledge? I like to soak that stuff in. So you know, I'm listening to all kind of podcasts. That's one thing I talked to. You know, I have a podcast, the Financial Foes Podcast. And I know I'm talking a lot. I'm going to shut up in a second. No, but, this um, is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, I was telling, so Greg, my co-host Greg, um, we were talking. And at one point in time, like, I was subscribed to 97 podcasts. You know how hard that is to listen to? 97 podcasts. I listen to everything on 2X, though. But still, 97. So I think today I'm at about 60. But that's still too many, if we're being honest. That's a lot of content. <laughs> I know. I like information. I'm a self-improvement junkie. That's cool. Now, you know, I just got put on game about speeding up the rate um, for podcasts and stuff like that. I just got put on to that. It's a game changer. There's only one person. Um, I One of my mentors is Byron Golden. And so when I listen to his stuff, he's the only person that I got to slow it down. That means yeah. he talks way too fast, but everybody else, I'm learning to speed it up. So that's really, really cool. Hey y'all, Tiffany here. Are you looking to purchase or sell real estate? As you know, I'm your aid to assets and I want to help you with all of your real estate endeavors. Whether you're local here like me in the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, I can then help you purchase or sell your next property. If you're looking to purchase or sell outside of North Carolina, let me know too. I can still help you. I have a team of agents all over the country that I can connect you with to partner on your next deal. Let's get to the closing table, y'all. We buy our way to wealth, whether that's buying right or selling better. Can't wait to hear from you. Click on the link in the bio if you want more information on how to personally work with me or an agent on my team. Talk to you soon. So check this out. Speaking to him. All right. So we're both in the same morning community, right? That's how this interview happened. All right. So I don't know if you remember this, but he was on there last year, the beginning of the last year, the beginning of 2023. 
and he was speaking about offers and making more offers. And he was saying, the reason you don't have enough money is because you don't have enough offers. And I was like, damn, that spoke to me. And so as a result of that, at the time, I was thinking like, all I really have at the point at that point was buying or selling, you know, real estate. That's all. That was my only offer. So I was like, man, I need to come up with some kind of passive revenue stream, you know, by offering this stuff out. So what I did was I wrote two books last year. I released a course last year and I have some eBooks as well, but I put all that out in 2023. So I went to work and that was a result of that call, a result of that morning call about making more offers. It was last January. I never forget. Yo, that's great. I remember that call, but to have gone and done all of that and that time, that's insane. So tell us, tell us what the book and the course is. All right. So the first book I put out was last February. It's called I'm Out, Escaping the Rat Race, One Hold Income on. Stream Wait at a, a Time. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold what on. <laughs> the call was in January. The book came out in February. February 28th. Yep. In the comments, y'all, no excuses. <laughs> no excuses. Preference it by saying this. The book is only 41 pages, so it's not like a long novel, but it's straight into the point. Yeah. You still did it, though. That's what's important. You still did it and put it out. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell us about it. <laughs> so it's, I'm out escaping a rat race one income stream at a time, and it's basically teaching you how, like, how I got out of the rat race and then giving a framework around it and how you could do it as well. That's for people who... Maybe they work in a nine to five and they're working and they're making like living paycheck to paycheck and they know there's a better way, but don't know how. Well, this is it right here. That's the book for that. Then I put out another one, July 17th. That one is uh, from listed to sold 55 expert strategies to sell your home in any market. That's a, then that one took a little while longer. That was 183 pages. So it's basically marketed. I use it as a for sale by owner lead capture and I mail it to them. But also as realtors can use it as well, just giving ways to sell properties, you know, expert. I'm the expert, obviously, but expert strategies to sell your house in any market, no matter buyer's market, seller's market, doesn't matter. And then the course, my bad, one last thing, the course. So I put out the course. Um, this was last uh, Black Friday. So I put it out Black Friday weekend last year. And it's basically, and there's a community involved with that one too, once you finish the course. But it's based on the book, the first book, the I'm Out Escaping the Rat Race. It's called Escaping the Rat Race Blueprint. And it's walking it, walking you through on how to get exit the rat race. And I'm not against nine to fivers. You know, I used to be one. It just wasn't for me. I don't like people telling me what I need to do and, and asking for permission to take vacation. I don't like that. That's just not my style. I love it. See, my goal right now is to be work optional. And so I feel you because I tell people all the time, your nine to fiver is your first investor. If you yep. leverage it right. For many of us, we are just using our nine to five to buy extra things to make us get forget that we got to go back to work on Monday. That's not going to move the needle and we cannot get wealthy by living paycheck to paycheck. We can't even get wealthy just saving our money. And so I want to be work optional where if I choose to have a job, cool. But if I don't, I'm still good. And so I tell people having one income stream is too close to zero. And that is what I, that's what prompted me getting into this business and wanting to educate people because I was working at the biggest company in the world and knew people that were living paycheck to paycheck. It blew my mind. Like how are you making six, seven, eight figures and you live in paycheck to paycheck. And that just, I was like, so it's never about how much money you make. It's about how you manage the money you have. Yep. Lifestyle creep. That's what they call that. When you get another promotion, you start going out, buying more things, getting yep. a bigger house, getting a, a better car, things like that. 
That's exactly what it was between that and them golden handcuffs where they offer you a little bit more stock options so you stay longer. And I said, oh no, y'all, I don't, mm -mm. I work too hard. No, I don't want to be handcuffed to nothing. So that's huge. And so we'll definitely, again, y'all have that in the description too. This morning I was scrolling on Facebook and I came across this post. It said, how much money does your employer have to pay you to forget about your dreams? Listen. That resonated with me so much. Yes. How much money does your employee have to pay you to forget about your dreams? Mm-hmm. Seriously. And we put a we put a price on it every day when we go to work. Yep. Every day yep. when we go to work Facts. and don't do anything else. Facts. So okay. you, you got to get out there and get some properties. Let's leverage this banking experience that you got and add it to your realtor experience. So we have an audience here, like I mentioned. So most of us are nine to fivers. And we are trying to figure out how to get the first investment portfolio. So I want to do two different scenarios, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So the first one is a person that does not own any property yet. They are still renting, um, and but they have been reading and hearing a lot about real estate and the importance of having it. How would you recommend they prepare themselves to become an investor? Easiest thing for them, and I guess it's going to be case by case, but house hacking. And that's the first thing comes to mind, like renting out, you know, buying a multifamily unit, two to four unit uh, property and renting out the other units. The reason you want to do this is because it's going to reduce your housing expense significantly. Housing and taxes are, you know, largest expenses in general. So if you can, you know, reduce that housing expense significantly by buying a property and renting out the other side, and you only have to do it for a year, do it for a year, move into another one, repeat the process, rent your old unit out. Now you got an investment property where you're renting out both sides. If it was a duplex, you're getting rental income. And the cool thing about it is the lender is going to allow you to use that income that you're getting on the property to qualify. So it's a no-brainer. That's something right there that I wish I had known in 2010 when I first bought mine. I would have definitely used this strategy. That's a strategy I like to utilize with my newer clients, like people that's fresh out of college, you know, their first job or older clients, like elderly, where they're fixed incomes and they don't mind living next to somebody and being a landlord. That's, That's a great strategy for them. Absolutely. Love, love, love house hacking. I tell people that's the easiest way to get started. Why buy one house when you can buy four? Um, So I love that. Now, in terms of preparing the finances in order to do that, what do you recommend for people to have to prepare? How do you walk your clients through that? So I usually uh, link them with my preferred lender, but in general, I'll just tell them, you know, to make sure that they don't go out and buying no expensive cars, things like that. Just kind of, you know, with the lenders, they want to see big deposits. They, I'm sorry, they don't want to see big deposits. So your money, any, like if, let's say you were getting gift funds from a family member. You want to plan for that in advance. So that way, because they usually want two months worth of uh, bank statements. So you want to plan for that. Let's say my mom's giving me $10,000. All right, so I want to put that in my account and let that be seasoned for 60 days before I apply for the loan. So that way I don't have to answer questions when the lender asks for it. In addition, I want to make sure that I have like all of my tax returns, W-2s, all that stuff, and maybe a folder, something to make it easier. Because when you're applying for the loan, as long as you have the information handy and easily accessible, it's going to make the process way more smoother. So you don't want to be struggling trying to find this document and that document. You want to kind of like get your stuff in order. For my self-employed people out there, you want to think about this in advance, like, Cause you know, we don't like to show a lot of income on our tax return. <laughs> yep. So if I'm preparing, if I know, you know, 2025, I want to buy a house as a self-employed individual. 
So maybe 2024, I want to show more of that money and not take as many tax write-offs. So it's, it's all about strategy and planning. And that's why you should get with the realtor and the lender, you know, so they can help guide you to the right direction. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned several times about some of the, the tax benefits. And so that's a huge thing that I definitely always like to tell people, especially my nine to fivers, because Uncle Sam was taking a whole lot of our check and they not putting in no hours. So talk to us a little bit about why are the benefits that we get from being in real estate and why this is such a good strategy for us, because we do still have those W-2s. Okay, so there's so many things I want to go. I'm trying to think how I can play this because there's so many ways I want to go with this. Like in general, what I teach, there's five ways that real estate pays you. We all know about cash flow. We all know about appreciation. Depreciation is the game changer, in my opinion. That's one of the ways that people don't really know about. But that's um, essentially whenever you buy a residential property, the government allows you to depreciate it, meaning you can have paper losses on your taxes. You can depreciate the property by 27 and a half years. For commercial property, it's 39 years. So for ease of example purposes, let's say we have a, and you want to consult with your attorney, I mean, your uh, accountant, a CPA, but for ease of example purposes, let's say we have a property worth $275,000, not including the land. It's only the structure, not the land. So we have a property that's $275,000. It's a re residential property. You could depreciate that by 27 and a half years, which means you could have a tax deduction of $10,000 each year. All right. So let's say we're making... 11,000 a year on that property in cash flow. So now I only got to show $1,000 in income for that particular property because I just wrote off 10,000 in depreciation. So it's a paper, it's, it's on paper, but I actually had $11,000 in my pocket in actual cash. So that's the depreciation part of it. The reason people, the reason the government allows that is because the, the government incentivizes people to do the job for them. So they know that they can get entrepreneurs to help solve the housing issue because they can't do it you know, wow. themselves. It will take too much time and it wouldn't be efficient. So if they incentivize entrepreneurs to go out there and, and rent out, you know, buy properties, rent them out, that'll help. That's a solution for the housing, you know, the local housing, because everybody can't afford a, a house. So we have renters. Um, another thing I, I want to mention, so I say there's five ways that real estate pays you. So I say cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, leverage. So where else can you go, you know, and put up, 20% of the money in the bank going to give you 80% as opposed to a stock where if I want to buy a $100,000 stock, I got to have $100,000 worth of, you know, in cash to buy it. With a real estate, I want to buy a $100,000 investment property. I only got to come to the table with 20,000. So, and I get to keep the appreciation, the depreciation and the cash flow. I don't have to share that with the bank. And the last thing, this one right here, a lot of people don't know about. All right. So it's called inflation profiting, inflation profiting. So we can all agree that the cost you know, goods, the cost of goods and services increases over time. So like gas, back when we were kids, gas was 99 cents. Well, yeah. I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid, gas is 99 cents. It ain't 99 <laughs> cents the most. That's called inflation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm locking in a 30-year term loan, right, at let's say $1,000 a month, we can both agree that in 10 years, that $1,000 is not going to be worth the same as far as my purchasing power. But I'm still paying them back $1,000, even though inflation is going up over that time. Like they can't come to me and say, I want you to um, increase your payments. Nah, we locked in for 30 years. So that's how you, you, you profit from inflation. Inflation is actually on your side in that case, because I'm paying them back with cheaper dollars. So that's the five ways real estate pays you. Do y'all see why y'all need to tap in with Antonio? I just, we gonna, we gonna, it's going to be in the description, but y'all going to see me on the class on Tuesday. So y'all tap in. That is, that was so good. So to recap one, so house hacking, um, and we've had house hackers on here. And so that's 
renting a two to four units and living in one and renting out the other ones. I've also even told people, especially you mentioned like you had some that were fresh out of college. I have a couple of clients that are getting ready to graduate and rent out the room. You used to having a roommate. So you can also rent out the room and have people that are helping you pay your mortgage, if not covering the whole thing. And then you still get all of the benefits that Antonio just mentioned because you are the homeowner. So that's huge. He talks about the five ways that real estate pays you. So y'all go ahead, y'all gonna have to run this back, take that in your notes to make sure that you are capitalizing on all of the benefits of where else can you have that many benefits from spending money? We're not spending money on Jays and Gucci and Prada, but this is actually paying us because we decided to buy it. We buy income around here. Yep, we buy income streams. Okay, <laughs> period. Yep. So the second scenario then, talk to me now if you have a client who they bought a house. They didn't think about investing initially. They were, you, we know the rat race dream. So you get a good job, you go buy a house. That's what you're supposed to do. So they own their primary residence, but now they want to figure out how can I get other properties to build a portfolio? Talk to us about the recommendations that you would give them. So in this particular case, do they have cash? Like, do they have uh, some capitals? They got a little bit of capital. Let's say they got, you know, some savings, maybe like $10,000, somewhere around there. So not a whole lot. All right. Not a whole lot. So, mm. all right. They've been, doing the, they, they've been doing what they've been told to do. They got an emergency fund. They bought the house. They did they, what was right. Yeah. So in this particular case, if, if we're talking buy and hold, um, they need some cash, right, to be able to put as a down payment. So they can leverage their retirement account. If they want to, you can take uh, a general purpose loan from the retirement account to use as a down payment. You just have to run the numbers and see if it makes sense because... You know, you'll have to pay that loan back, which you'll be paying yourself interest, but still, you still have to pay it back. So that's something to consider. I actually did that for a property. I borrowed $50,000 from my uh, retirement account to use as a down payment. Um, I paid it back. But yeah, that's an option. Another option, we will look at see how, to see how much equity they have in the individual home. I'm not a proponent of using a HELOC to put down as a down payment. I would use it more so to do a flip, put the money back in the HELOC and pay it off, and then use the profits from the flip to use as a down payment on the property. So it's just different ways you can do this. It just depends on the individual situation and how much capital they have, time, how much they have in their retirement account. It's a lot of different things. That's what I like about finance. Like there's so many things you could do. You just gotta get creative. Or I didn't even mention this, you could partner. Nothing wrong with partnering with people. Like you could easily partner with somebody else that has the skills, that has the capital, you know, the time. That's the three things you need, skills, capital, and time. If you don't have any one of those, find somebody that does and partner with them. Absolutely. And let's talk about that partnership piece a, min a little bit, because you mentioned that you partnered on the apartment complex that you own. Walk us through what that's like. So that that's a syndication. Um, I'm an LP on that one. That's why I, I wanted to be on the GP side. But the GP is the person that find, general partner. That's the person that finds the deal, kind of like puts it all together, raises the capital, things like that. Um, I'm on the LP side, so I can't make any decisions. All I did was put up money um, and I own a percentage of it. When we bought it, it was 26 million. It's worth probably like 32, 33 now. And you know, with commercial property, the value is based on the rents. So typically what people do is they look for value added opportunities where they go in, identify stuff that's below rent that could use a little facelift, fix, it, fix up the property and raise the rents. Once you raise the rent, the value of the property goes up. So that's what happened with this particular property that I was purchased in August of 2021. Um, it's a learning experience. I know that one of the GPs, so I can get the game, the inside game from him directly. Um, but that's that's how that deal worked out. 
Love it. So continuing to network and being willing to put yourself out there and seeing. So now you're getting ready to to make your own deals for people. I actually did a, um last year. I did a ten week boot camp with Bigger Pockets on uh, multifamily investing, and the people that was in my cohort, I still talk to a few of them today. Like to this date, we have a a WhatsApp group where we communicate and you know share different resources. We jump on a monthly Zoom just to you know stay in touch, uh, share resources, things like that. Um, we all met up. We went to BPCon in October, and you know it was good. To, you know it's net, every this whole thing is networking. I, I learned at the conference that a guy speaking. He said. What was his quote? He said, uh, the more hands you shake, the more money you make. So you got to get out there and network. The more hands you shake, the more money you make. The more hands you shake, the more money you make. Introverts, that's our cue. We got to get out there. We got to meet some people. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so a couple of things before we wrap up. You mentioned that you are an avid reader and that you're usually always reading about two books. What you reading right now? So right now, oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to talk about this today. We record our podcast later on today. So check this out. So I'm reading this book with the brokerage. It's called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people will say he's, um, like, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They say he's Rich Dad, like Keith Cunningham. I don't know how true that is, but that's what a lot of people suspect out there. But The Road Less Stupid. And in this book, he talks about something called the dumb tax. The dumb tax is when you let emo. This is an example. When you let emotions, you know, uh, guide your decisions instead of thinking logically, or you don't fully examine all of the possible scenarios before you make a decision, things like that. And he he brought up this concept called thinking time, and it's something I'm employing in 2024. Where basically you just set aside an hour, and you do not disturb every no distractions, no computer, none of that, and then you ask yourself questions. And you come up with solutions to those questions by, you know, diff different ways you can ask the question. And you call it thinking time. So that's something I've been doing so far in 2024. And I think this is going to be a game changer for me and my business. It's just asking those tough questions. Question, Because you, if you think about it, like people, you get so bogged up in things and calls and like you don't really just sit there and think like you, we need that quiet time with ourselves. And I, this is going to be a game changer for me. So that's one book I'm reading right now. Another well, book I'm let reading. Me, let me clarify. Oh. So these questions that I'm asking myself, are these questions about, like, what kind of questions are they? So that's another thing. Each chapter he gives, based on whatever the chapter topic is, he gives you a set of questions. Let me give you an example. Okay. So, like, the, the chapter I read this morning, the questions, it says, uh, one, some of the ones I highlighted that I want to ask myself, it says, what do our customers want and how do I know that this is the right answer? What is the solution I need to design to meet their needs and address their pain? Do I have the ability to, to successfully build a solution? How will, I how will I deliver it to them? You know, just questions like that, depending on whatever the subject is for that chapter. I like that. Okay, I'm a questions girl, so I'm very inquisitive. So I like that. I'm going to have to check that out. It's a really good book. This is my second time reading it, actually. You know how sometimes when you read something, your mind wasn't necessarily ready to receive it? Oh, yeah. So I didn't... I didn't pick up on a lot of this stuff the first time I read it, but now I'm like, oh, ooh, I should have, I should have been doing this, <laughs> but I wasn't ready. Yep, I got. And this you. is the second one. Real estate by the numbers. Oh, uh, real estate. Yep, it's basically about deal analysis, so it's just a refresher. Okay, so let's talk about deal analysis a little bit because that's always probably top three fears I get from folks that are wanting to go into the investment side. Um, when you think about the top two formulas that you feel any investor should know when they are getting ready to get started, what would they be? 
cash on cash return for sure. You need that's basically how much money you get put into the deal. That's the return on that money you're putting into the deal. Um, that's why I love the burst strategy because every time I've done it, I put my money into the deal and I'm able to pull it back out. So my return in that particular investment is infinite at this point because I don't have none of my own funds in the deal anymore. But cash on cash return will be number one. Um, loan to value will be another one. You like I, I hear a lot of people, quote unquote, gurus out there that that want you to basically like it's all about leverage. But you have to balance. Right. You can't just you can't utilize. Let's say you utilize 100 percent financing and then values go down. Well, now you're underwater. So you have to put in something like whether that's your individual money or, uh, or somebody else investing with you. That's their money, whatever it is. But you got to you know put in some kind of money to kind of balance that loan of value. Um, so that's two. The next one would be, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the... Well, let me go back to the cash or cash return. Do you have okay. a goal for yourself of like, I need to make my money back in X amount of time? Well, my cash on cash is like a benchmark. So like whenever I'm underwriting properties, mine is 12%. So I have to make 12% at least. A minimum of 12%. That's just me personally. Y'all in Louisiana getting 12% out? I need to come, yeah. I need to, come to Louisiana. <laughs> Yeah, value's not, I mean, it's not bad out here at all. Like as far as, oh, another, oh, okay. I have my third one. I just thought about it. So you remember the 1% rule? All right. So basically like if I have a thousand dollar, I'm sorry, if I have a hundred thousand dollar property, I need to be getting at least a thousand dollars a month in rent. Well, the 1% rule used to work. It doesn't work anymore because <laughs> values have kind of like gone up so, so much more than rents. But um, now I try to keep it around 0.8, you know? That's my rule. That's that's the other thing I look for. So that's I guess that would be the three ratios that I could think of offhand. OK, that's interesting because here. So I'm in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So here, the one percent rule, we can still find properties that fit that. Um, but that 12 percent. Yeah, we can hit the one percent. But that 12 percent, though, that's a little high for us. So that's just something else for y'all to continue as you are practicing and getting out in the market to understand these rules are just foundational. But every deal is not going to be the same. And so you have to figure out what is your strategy? What is your goal and what makes the most sense for you? Because like I just said here, I can get the one percent rule, but we're not seeing 12 percent returns. But where Antonio and I are and where we're investing is in two different places. So just keep that in mind as well. But those are really good. So the cash on cash return, loan to value, and then whatever you want your your rents to value to be. This though, like um, with these benchmarks, you know, every deal is going to be different. It more so just helps you quickly analyze deals instead of spending so much time on them. You know, if, if they don't pencil out, you can move on to the next one. You don't have to waste a lot of time. So that's that's why I like the benchmarks. But then sometimes you may make an exception. What if something isn't a 12 percent, but it's 11? OK, maybe depending on the right circumstances, that might that might work because I may I, I may see an opportunity to raise rents or something where I can get my return that I want. So that's just it's not a hard, you know, fast rule. It's just more so like a guideline to help you quickly analyze the deal so you can move on. Absolutely. Love that. Antonio, this has been absolutely amazing. I feel like there's so much that you could still teach us. So we're going to have to get you back on the show and talk more about personal finance. I didn't even talk about the lending aspect. I do lending too out of my self-directed IRA. So, yeah. Antonio, how many hours you got in your day? Because we can't have the same two days. We can't. <laughs> I got 24. I just optimized mine. <laughs> I love it. Okay, yes. Yeah, so that's a bet. We definitely gonna have to come back 
people always want to talk about the money and the lending is one where I feel there's still a lot of smoke and mirrors where people just don't understand the process. And it's really about just understanding what you need. It doesn't have to be this really scary thing. So we're definitely going to have to circle back to that. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. So you already kind of did it, but I want to see if there's anything that you want to add. So one of the things that we do before we close out the show is I believe in us having vision. And so we are vision casters here. And so as a guest, I always want to ask, what do you see is going to be true for you and your business one year, three years from now? You started to touch on it, but I'm sure that there's way more that you got in that vision of yours. So talk to us. So what business are we talking about specifically? <laughs> Your choice. Okay. <laughs> I, so, listen, y'all, Antonio done already challenged me. I got to get another stream because, listen, he out here working, working. <laughs> so I, I'll tell you this. My goal, I'm going heavy in commercial. I'm not going to forget okay. about residential, but I'm going heavy in commercial this year. Uh, I want to get that CCIM designation uh, because mainly because I like to learn. But secondly, whenever the agents that I partner with, whenever they have commercial related questions, I want to be able to answer them. So that's what I'm focusing on. Uh, my ultimate goal though, is I don't want to be running the brokerage uh, by 2027. So I want to oversee. I don't want to be like in the weeds teaching and reviewing files and things like that. I want to hire a managing broker to do that for me. And then when it comes to the real estate, there's not a specific number of doors that I want. Uh, it's more so a, a specific amount of cash flow because I can get, you know, Twenty. I, honestly, I want fifteen thousand dollars a month in passive income from my from the properties. Like I can get that with a few properties. I don't need hundreds of properties to get that. So I can't put a door specific number on it, but I do want to get to that fifteen thousand dollars a month in passive income from properties. Love it, y'all. Hear how specific those goals are. It's very clear on what he is working toward and how he's going to do it. And so make sure as you are setting out your goals that you can be that crystal clear and know where you're going. Antonio, thank you so much for your time today. This has been amazing. Hey, I appreciate you. One last thing. Well, two last things I want to say. Okay, what's up? All right. So we have a lot of real estate investors on here. So what I want to uh, direct you to is I did a presentation a few months ago with my group on Tuesday nights. We switch up the topics every week, but I did one on velocity banking. And I feel like every investor can relate. Well, I can say relate. Every investor can benefit from this information. So I would advise you, you can look me up on YouTube, Cousin Sells LA, LA for Louisiana. So Cousin Sells LA and look at that Velocity Banking presentation that I did on there. I think that's going to be a life changer for you. And then as far as offerings, you can check out GotIncomeStreams.com. That's my website where I have all of my offerings. And last thing, the Financial Flows Podcast. Please like, subscribe, all of the above, share, you know, things like that. But I appreciate the opportunity. I don't take this lightly. Thankful for you. Absolutely. And y'all, we will have all of Antonio's information so y'all can tap in and follow him on all the socials as well as his website so you can get those ebooks, courses, and the link to his podcast. Y'all can see there's a wealth of information and we just scratched the surface. So y'all be sure to tap in with Antonio. You are absolutely amazing, sir. I am so grateful that we got to connect. I can't wait to get to do more. Me too. I'm looking forward to building with you. Let's do this. Absolutely. Y'all, this has been another amazing episode of the Aid to Assets podcast. We're going to see you at the closing table. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Aid to Assets. Remember, your journey from nine to fiver to successful real estate investor is within reach. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep investing in your future. If you'd like to know more, connect with me on Instagram at Aid to Assets. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review.
Until next time, happy investing.